The following is offered by Discerning Hearts, a 501 nonprofit Catholic apostolate dedicated to spiritual formation through the use of digital media. To download this selection, or to browse hundreds of other programs, or to contribute to our mission with a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, visit our website at discerninghearts.com. The Formed Book Club. Catholic book lovers unpacking good books chapter by chapter. Welcome back to the Foreign Book Club. I hope it's welcome back because we're towards the end of this wonderful book by Henri de Brock called The Drama of Ace Humanism. Uh, the questions we're taking now in chapter one of part four called The Search for a New Man are... I think particularly dense because you're really kind of summing up everything that he said in the first three parts, but in his own words, which even in English to me strike me almost as poetry sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we left off in middle of section three on page uh, 411. So, Joseph, uh, take it from there. Well, I have nothing else until 419, so I suspect that both of you do, so I'm going to hand back. Well, I have one on 412, uh, four or five lines down. Submission to the real, because these people who want to kind of romantically uh, avoid technological domination and things like that, they want to say, this is, let's just get back to nature and the real. But the Lubach says, submission of the real is by definition submission of the created intelligence to God, the creator of the real- this reality. An excellent principle, but here at least insofar as we can judge how poorly applied. Does man truly never have anything to do but record, that is, receive? Does the constancy of natural laws prevent any action upon reality? And is the social universe, such as constituted day before our eyes, truly the work of the creator of God in the same sense as the physical universe? And do we truly have no hold on the latter universe itself? So this whole idea is that we just can't retreat, mm-hmm. you know. And go into a shell. Both nature and society need to be transformed by our activity, but not in terms of some imminent, uh, merely human teleology or goal, but rather according to the mind of God. Right. And he points out how sometimes this impetus to resist change, you know, uh, actually has been maybe blunting. Uh, a work of the Holy Spirit in the world. So he says, you know, um, uh, you know, any intervention of public power with the view of suppressing the most blatant abuses was declared utopian or sacrilegious. Any aspiration for more justice was frustrated in the name of these laws of this order. They canonized economic liberalism, one of the sins of our modern world. And other in other epochs, they've canonized other forms of social order, as if this particular form of social order is divinely ordered, and that's that. So the fact is, is that man is in constant need of renewal, and the church and society are too. And so, again, you know, he's so discerning about, um, does that mean we're all to be these resentful rebels who just tear everything down and, 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 and make ourselves into gods? No. But does it mean that we are just always pining away for an anachronism? You know, 
So uh, he's really, I found this very challenging reading to myself personally as to kind of like giving me a corrective uh, one way. Yeah, and I think the questions that Father quoted at the beginning there, and I agree with everything both of you have said, but I think the other thing he's saying there, of course, is that we're not just, we, 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 we don't live in a deterministic cosmos, but we, we actually live in a cosmos where we are meant to be procreators mm-hmm. uh, and sub-creators, and we are, of course, meant to be um, uh, agents of change in a positive sense. And I love even even a, a, a thoroughgoing, Conserv- I don't know the word conservative, but thorough going, I can't think of a better word. So thorough going conservative like Chesterton or Tolkien. Chesterton says if you want uh, to preserve or conserve a gatepost, you don't leave it alone. Let's say fair is not an option. You have to be continually painting it. So mm. even to keep something from change, you have to do something to stop it from changing. So, you know, the, the point is we do have to be proactive. We can't just sit back and let things happen because if that that's the worst case scenario of all that just invites anarchy or tyranny here's how i see this particular temptation of simply avoiding and rejecting progress one of the forms it takes now now one of the blessings of ignatius press is that at least on tuesdays and thursdays most of us are here and we have lunch together more or less together, kind of come in and out at different times. But Vivian mentioned at lunch today, we talked about this book. She said, the Lubach is a master of balance. And he helps us because we might tend to get unbalanced in our own view, but he presents both sides and makes sure that we understand the temptations of either. And so what's one big temptation now? There's an acronym, SJW, Social Justice Warrior. And because... There are so many people for societal change of a certain kind. Let's have gay rights and gay marriage. Let's have uh, non-binary people. Let's have transgenderism. Let's have gender affirmation. And they're fighting for that. That's justice. That's social justice. And so we say, well, no, that's not social justice at all. We're opposed to that. And so we then we kind of reject all these social justice warriors. But the point is, social justice is something the church has been proclaiming since Christ himself. And so we can't, we can't you know, deny the, the need to seek for a more just society. But there's a tendency to reject all progressivism because it's been so perverted in our time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, he talked somewhere about, um, you know, when the so-called progress is actually a disfiguring of man. And I think... You know, like cutting off parts. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that 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 uh, uh, if you if you abandon, like you said, Joseph, any objectivity at all as to what things are for and how things are made, and you know that there's something here to be observed and respected for what it is before we start just tinkering around with it because we want to. Right. You know, and that, and we, do, and we do forget. I think that the word pro- progress is is not something which is necessarily good. You know, a cancer can be progressive, right? Change can be good or it can be bad. Progress can be good or it can be bad, right? So uh, the, the fact that if, if something progressive, it's therefore ipso facto good, I think is, is actually um, a non sequitur. You know, to, to what are we prog- progressing? We're progressing in what direction and for what reason? And they're the sort of questions we need to be asking um, in, in order to a- ascertain whether this particular form of progress is a progressive in a, in a detrimental, harmful sense, a progressive in a positive sense. 
Yeah, I mean, I would say distinction in language here because I think progress in itself has largely a positive meaning. It, you know, it means moving forward uh, implied to something which is good. Progressive, someone who wants to move forward no matter what direction he goes in, uh, is is dangerous because you don't know whether it's a good or bad direction. Uh, well, you know, and I think sorry. One, one of the key things he mentions as uh, a guide for helping us discern these things on page 424, Whoa, okay. we can go back after this, yeah, but will. the whole of reality of which man is an integral part surrenders something of its meaning only to a loving and disinterested gaze. How could it be understood by someone who is seeking only to explain the phenomena with a view to submitting them to his manufacturing ends. <laughs> so, you know, this this goes back to his point about the temptation to rebel as out, as out of a resentment toward God. You know, if you resent God and you resent how you're made, that is not the right starting point. The starting point has to be love, love of God and love of his gifts, appreciation for his gifts. Without that, you're likely to do a bunch of disfiguring things rather than yeah. Yeah. creative things that will make things better. Right. And if I could just make a Chestertonian comment on the word progress, because Father said it tends to be something which is positive. I'm not arguing with that. But Chesterton said that um, when the whole of society is marching towards the abyss, the wiser in the rear. <laughs> That's right. Right. I'm on 414. You have something there, Joseph? No, I'm nothing, I'm nothing for four, till 419, so it's all yours, Father. Really? Well, three lines down, 414. If we return next to the plane of intellectual analysis, which is what he does a lot, we would indeed have to admit that the traditionalist refusal, in the absolute form it sometimes takes, is inspired by a conception of the world and an ideal of wisdom that are much more heritage of ancient thought in decline than a correlate of Christian faith. And oh, wow. I mean, I'm thinking of the rad trads right now, you know, uh, in, the, in, in the theological sphere. But then... Uh, I'm surprised, Joseph, you didn't pick up on this, a new paragraph on that page, realizing in that paragraph, man was not placed in the universe as one thing among other things, nor has he been installed there in order to enjoy it passively as if everything had been achieved first without him. He was created, Genesis tells us, tells us, in the image of God. This is the first teaching of the Bible about man. In the image of God, is this to say according, first of all, to the image of the creator? He should then imitate him in the manner of dominating nature. This is the whole essay on fairy stories by Tolkien. Man is a self-creator, right? I agree. I mean, you know, Father, uh, <laughs> um, I thought I was highlighting sufficient to to talk upon, and that uh, you know, we, we could we, when we could do this is absolutely something, of course, which I could should have highlighted. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to I'm trying to ration my highlighted passages so we make progress through the book. <laughs> and then here's what I love at uh, Zen de Lubac. He always draws on his tremendous experience of the history of the church and the fathers. At the bottom of the page there, he says, uh, quoting uh, Theodore Mopsuestia here, man alone, man alone is the image of God. Theodore Mopsuestia, wherever that is, discovered this privilege in the faculty which man has of being in his turn, in a certain sense, a creator, incapable of bringing natures themselves into existence. He can, in imitation of his creator, organize, combine as he pleases the elements that are placed at his disposition, produce objects created in small houses, ships, cities, and I would say books, poems, 
literature, which had not existed previously. Yeah. Yeah, that's... It's it's exactly what Tolkien's saying about sub-creation. And then in the middle of page 415, I love it. St. Thomas Aquinas here opens to us a great perspective, quote, habet homo rationum et manum. Man has reason and a hand. (laughs) Yep, yep. And uh, and he also has a heart. What? And that's you know Lewis's image, men without chess. This point about you can't really understand something if you don't love it. Uh, so how do you know what's good for it then if you don't love it? If your starting point is this hostility toward it and anger and disappointment with it and so on, you're not really going to do it good. You'll do it harm. And Lewis's image of the man without chess is exactly this man who has reduced his knowledge of the world and himself to this plane of measurable, quantifiable facts, uh, reduced his understanding himself as just one who dominates uh, and subjects things to himself. And um, de Lubach goes through the three temptations of this uh, reductionism on, on 422. He starts... Uh, he starts with this list that kind of makes up this man without a chest who's just looking at things to make it what he wants without loving it first. Scientific intoxication, we talked about that, the love of science, the faith in science. Ontological rebellion, that's the rebel who... I'm not seeing this, Vivian. You said 422, where is it? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's down oh, the see. last it. third. Okay, okay. After I've got 40. it. Uh, logical rebellion and noetic reduction, meaning the reduction of knowledge just down to uh, observable, quantifiable type of facts. Uh, Such are, in sum, the three temptations by which the progress of our age is accompanied, temptations to which it has largely succumbed and which have opened the spiritual crisis in which we are struggling. And I would say it's not only true when he wrote it, it's true right now. We'll return to the Forum Book Club with Father Joseph Fessio, Vivian Dudreau, and Joseph Pierce in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. 
We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to the Formed Book Club with Father Joseph Fezio, Vivian Dudreau, and Joseph Pierce. Yes, again, to say the same thing, but uh, scientific intoxication, that is making science our, our, our goal of any kind of knowledge, on a lot of rebellion means no transcendence, no being outside of material being. No creator. No creator. And then noetic reduction, that is everything must be reduced to what you can know through scientific means. That's know? right. The science is settled. The experts have said, and, and, and he's writing this 80 years ago. Mm-hmm. So it's been going on a long time, but at least he saw it happening in its germ, perhaps. And we're, we're maybe seeing more of the, 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 the poison fruit developing from that. I want to go back to 417, three lines down, because Lubach, of course, is a theologian, but he's also a you know a commenter, uh, observer of the world. But he makes a comparison out of theology. And will we condemn, for example, the effort to understand the faith, because in fact, this is always nearly, nearly always led at first to heresy. So uh, people say, well, gosh, you know, theologians and, and people who think and spend their time in ivory towers and academics, they always have a heresy. So we, we're going to stop thinking because of that? Certainly does the bad use of science condemn scientific effort, even in its social extension. That is to say, we're not going to condemn the use of science to try and understand and make matter more useful to us by our technological devices, and likewise to understand society and create structures which will be more humane. You know, Father, I never thought of this before, but not only can we fall into this, the science is settled, we can fall into the faith is settled. And while certain Points of faith will never change certain points of dogma, you know, the incarnation, the redemption, the, the, you know, as far as understanding it all, who understands it all? It's, 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 it's a vast reservoir that we'll never get to the end of. And so uh, to, and, and of course, the Lubach suffered terribly from people who accused him of heresy because uh, his brilliant mind was willing to ponder things not that he's going to overthrow the way things have already been understood, but to deepen the way they're understood, to broaden the way they're understood. Uh, you know, men like him often got persecuted for doing that when they were completely faithful to the teaching. My, my, my only caveat to that, Vivian, would be that the way that the church has done that in the past is through the progress of the creeds, right? That the creeds develop. And what the creeds do, is, as, as, as Chesterton says in orthodoxy, is they create a key. And the key becomes more complex. It doesn't broaden, it defines. So, so the Easter creeds become more complex, like a key becomes more complex because it's the thing that opens the door. We don't 
broaden because uh, you know what we do is we define. So no, nobody is free to contradict the teachings of the creeds. If they do that, then they're a heretic. But of course, but of course, you know, and we do know that that large part of what it, who and what God is is a mystery, which will be revealed to us after we die. And please God, if we ever re reach the beatific vision, so we do know that we're seeing everything through a glass darkly. But we also know that the church, you know, is the uh, uh, the custodian of uh, div divine and defined truth. And it's only through that through, through, through that divine definition that we can we do not go astray. Right. Well, de Lubac would not disagree. He would accept the dogmatic uh, foundation, the apostolic deposit of faith that got uh, defined in the creeds, just as you said. He, I'm not talking about the overthrow of creeds. I'm talking about what does it even mean to say that Jesus descended into hell? What is hell? Where is it? What is it? Or what does it mean to say Jesus ascended into heaven? What right. is well, ascension? Well, what well, is well, heaven? Well, Jesus didn't descend into hell. We're okay. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. So, But minds like Delubox often have been persecuted because they're willing to say, huh, well, what does that what does that mean? And try to deepen our understanding, not overthrowing an already established, accepted um, point of dogma, uh, but to to deepen our... What does it mean? No salvation outside the church. What is the church? I mean, these things, these things can be pondered and contemplated. Uh, yes, baptism, baptism by water, baptism by blood. Right, all of these things are, are great. These are all very good and the healthy conversations that theologians have had that deepen our understanding of baptism or the church or hell. So, yeah, I'm not arguing with that. I'm not arguing with the right. back. I just want to make sure that we clear right. that right. we can't, and I, I think, so broadly that we leave definition behind. That's what I'm saying. I think we agree on this, and I think we're three of us are all right. Uh, I also want to say two things related to this. One, a false syllogism that has been used for decades in my life, all prophets are persecuted. I am persecuted, therefore I'm a prophet. <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> you know, that doesn't follow. That's that's a, lot, a logical fallacy. Right. Secondly, science, empirical science and theology have this distinction that in empirical science, we actually can learn new things and we can actually correct old errors. Mm -hmm. With theology, the newness is from in the interior. You're, you're having a better understanding of what was always there. We're not going to we're not going to learn there are no real novelties in theology. Right. There are new understandings which are, can be very fruitful, but where there are novelties in science. Meaning, you know, yeah. like, we discover things that we didn't even know existed. Right. You, you look at, at, at Max Planck in in quantum. I mean, that, that was a, that was a complete revelation in physics. Uh, now was, you could argue that the phenomena was already there, just never been observed. That's true. You know. That's right. But the science. Yeah, the science was wrong. What was wrong? It needed to be corrected. Let's put it that way. And so that's why this statement "science is settled" is just an absurd thing to say because it's constantly being. Well, no, there's something. Water boils at 100 degrees centigrade at, at you know atmospheric pressure. You know, right? That, that's true throughout the universe. It's settled. Well, maybe not throughout the universe. It has to be at a certain altitude well, boiling no, no, that temperature. No, no, no. You mean if you were at that altitude some other place? At that pressure, what we call atmospheric yeah. pressure, yes. If the conditions uh, were the it's, same. It's true, it's, it's, it's true at that pressure at a certain altitude. 
Yeah, right. Yeah. So there's there's qualifiers, but but yes, I see your point. It's an excellent point. I see your point. It's an excellent point. And <laughs> heaven help me if I said anything that could have caused confusion. Uh, uh, it was I'm a caveat. Was it? It was just a caveat. It wasn't what you said was wrong. I just wanted yeah. to make sure. Well, but you know, you but these are important caveats. Somewhat of a digression, but I would say that uh, you know science progresses by experiment and observation. You either see things happening and you get the laws for them, like boiling water, or you you experiment by bringing things in the lab and testing things. You know, mm -hmm. but so-called climate science. We can't observe what's happening in the next century, nor can we experiment on it. That's right. And so it's to, to, to say science with respect to climate science compared to science with respect to quantum mechanics, those are two totally different things. But we say the science trademark, uh, it's a very dangerous expression. Yes. Even if we can apply to ourselves because this reductionism he brings in all of these other things that we've just taken off the table, things about ourselves that can't be known through the scientific method. Where, did he, where does he talk about that? Um, oh, so uh, on page 422, um, he says, instead of seeing invisible and tangible realities, so many signs of the invisible kingdom to which he believed himself destined, he, meaning man, no longer wanted to recognize in any of these conceptions any spiritual order except groundless symbols definitely outdated today. In other words, all of these other sources of wisdom and knowledge about who and what we are, like the Genesis story that he just quoted, or like fairy tales, or like myths, or whatever, all of this, well, none of this can be proved using the scientific method. Therefore, it's irrelevant. And we've narrowed what we can know about ourselves down to simply things we can measure and things we can quantify. Yes. Yeah. Continuing there. After having, he thinks, man, long projected in the mystical heaven, the social reality he was living or imagining. So that's the idea of heaven is projection of what we, we do or want to do here. Uh, he affirms that he has reached adult age by reducing everything to the earthly plane mm -hmm. and by explaining everything by it. So the essential reproach he addresses to Christian mystery is similar to the one which Origen once addressed in the name of this mystery to the Jewish religion. He reproaches the figure for its refusal to disappear in the face of the truth. That is to say, myth, Christianity, theology, transcendence, a God above us creator, that's all myth. And we reproach that for not yielding to the truth which is that those are all projections of our mind. All theology is for him reducible, here's reduction again, to an anthropology. And that's what he means by noetic reduction. Exactly. What we think we know being reduced down to this plane of what we can measure and touch and taste and put in a crucible and shake it up. Oh, uh, let's see, going back to, uh, we're almost going to wind up here, but on page 14, the top new paragraph there, this, this repeats what we've been saying, that which is true of the physical world, that is, we should transform it, uh, is also true for the social world. To transform the first by technology would be nothing if this work did not end in a progressive transformation of society itself. So both of them are good, as long as they're done with the right goal in mind, with the right direction in mind. Uh, hmm. I'm trying, well... 
we've done 422. I got a little bit to do on page 420, the beginning of section four. But if, why if, we... I, if, I, if I may interject, I you know I said I didn't have anything to page 419 about 25. Oh, go ahead. Let's finish with that. Go ahead, Joseph. Oh, you got a 419. I, I I don't need to read it, but I, so this was something which was um, was eye opening to me, and I, I love it when I get a new perspective. So here is Mr. Lubach basically said about the Prometheus myth. You know, Marx and Nietzsche and Percy Shelley, you know, they, 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 uh, um, they associate themselves with Prometheus as this rebel against the gods mm-hmm. and stealing fire from the mystery of fire from the gods and giving it to man. Uh, and this is uh, seen as, in some sense, a metaphor for man's rebellion against God, right? And I've always sort of assumed that that's the case. And I think it's, in some sense it is. But what Delubach says here, well, you know, there's a big difference between the God and the pagan gods. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, and, and that basically that there can be a Christian Prometheus, that we do believe that we should be able to take mysteries from those that, that should, do not, should not have the right to monopolize them, such as the pagan gods, right, and then, and, and then give them to man. Um, so if there are elites, if we now want to reduce the uh, pagan gods to an elite, um, and you know, if, a, if a Christian Prometheus was to say that I'm going to wrest this thing, which is seen to be as to preserve the elite because it's a good thing, and share it with the rest of, of humanity, that would be a Christian Prometheus. And that's very different from, the, from, from Adam or from Satan. And so this distinction between, you know, between Prometheus and, 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 and Satan I, I actually found enlightening as something which which has uh, broadened my understanding of, 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 of lots of things. So I was grateful for that. I was too. And then this astonishing thing he says at the end of that page about time. In other words, the ancient gods and the wheel of fate and this man just being a slave to forces beyond his control. That is the thing that the Lubach is saying Christ has liberated us from. That was the good news. And so what he says about time here, time is given to man in order to perfect himself within the temporal order. And man is right to want to escape all kinds of cosmic or social servitudes with a view to a freer, more humane existence. We so do me. not. Yes. We do hey. not at all have to mix Christianity closely with initiatives that are situated only on a purely natural plane. We do not at all have to involve it in some specific form of political regime or social revolution. Every person can differ with others about these things. So, but this idea, time is given to us to perfect ourselves in the temporal order because Christ himself redeemed time. Christ himself. The whole idea that Christ, if you like, has stolen the thunder from the gods. Right, you, you even see Christ as the Christian Prometheus. Yes, exactly. Which is a, which is revolutionary in many respects, yes. and someone should write about it. Yes. Well, let us conclude here and begin next session with section four, which takes takes us this very theme. The very first sentence is: There could thus be dash. Let us dare this paradox dash a Christian Prometheus. Mm-hmm. Thanks, everyone, for watching and listening. God bless you all. If you enjoyed this discussion, please help spread the word about the Forum Book Club by subscribing to the podcast and writing a review. You can sign up for weekly updates at formedbookclub.ignatius.com.